Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When diplomacy fails, presents Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Fails. Hello welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One. Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Crisis. Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. Hello there, history friends. That's right. This is a remastered talk episode. Don't get too excited now. It's not re-remastered. All this really means is that, well, my OCD-ness wouldn't allow me to not put these in the feed because, to be honest, I think as standalone episodes, they're pretty good. In fact, they're probably the best thing I did five years ago. And Sean and I really had a good time, and I think it'd be a shame to just cut them out of the feed altogether because, well, we sound like we're 12. So, in line with that... Here they are. There's not too much that's changed within them. A few things might have changed a little bit, but as I said, you don't have to listen to them. You can if you want, but these aren't included in the overall tally of the total episodes that you're getting, and they're not even included in the total number of two episodes per day. In other words, every day you'll get two episodes plus one of these, if, for example, they happen to be released five years ago along with, like, the original episode. There's seven of them all together, so this is the first one. And I hope you guys enjoy it. If you're just here for a trip down memory lane, then great. If you've never heard this before, then maybe it will amuse you to hear exactly what, well, Sean and I sounded like all those years ago. When, to put it in perspective, we didn't really know what we were doing, we didn't know how it was going to go, but all I knew was that, hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time to talk about history, about the Franco-Prussian War, about Bismarck, and loads of other things, with my best friend. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it, and let me know what you thought. Hope also, of course, that you're enjoying this remastered project. 
Anyway, enjoy. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk About the Franco-Prussian War. I'm joined today by my guest, Sean. Say hello, Sean. Hi, guys. Um, <laughs> today we have a few things to talk about. What will we start with? Well, I just finished listening to the podcast and I have to say you're doing a really good job. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure your listeners appreciate the amount of detail you went into, but I was just thinking, like, the origins of the Germanic states. It's something that you discussed, but it's not in any detail. Like, mm. um, you've got the, as far as I know, this yeah. is as far as I know, the Holy Roman Empire, and then somehow they managed to fall apart into this... Mm rabble of yeah. city-states so yeah. how did that come about well it's it's kind of it was kind of a gradual process in about the late 17th century you had the emergence of Prussia whereas before then it was all just a lot of German states that were kind of confined to either fealty to the Holy Roman Empire or were part of the Holy Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire was basically it, it's not really the right name to have even given it because it wasn't really Roman at all it's kind of just a confederation of German states and German cities that all sweared fealty to a certain emperor. They basically dominated all of Central Europe, and they had a they had a certain amount of influence in European affairs. Mm. But in terms of in terms of history, they're more confined to the actual continent. They don't really spread around and make an empire as say Britain did or France did. Okay, yeah, they fell apart. Yeah. and everybody became their own state. Yeah, as as a country, they all spoke the same language. Mm. They they all had their own trade. What, yeah. what drove them to be independent? Well, it was it wasn't really it wasn't really more desire to be independent. It was just kind of the way things happened as as the as the centuries progressed and as certain European states like France, say for example, got stronger. The, there was the Ottoman Empire as well and Poland to the east. It is interesting because once Prussia emerged. As as it's independent, as its own separate entity, yeah. And there's like a story behind that as well that goes through Teutonic Knights and everything. Yeah. The way that the Holy Roman Empire degenerated into what is basically now Austria, and then it had to sp- it had to spread east then because it couldn't spread north because Prussia was expanding. Yeah. And once the once its smaller little city states broke away, then it became they they just became a disillusioned. Group. Yeah, um, just uh, because it, you have to remember as well. They I mean, didn't have any strong leaders. Like, no, were they in the same sort of boat as France that they they didn't have any strong leaders at the time. And they yeah, they well, that unifying that that is true. Yeah, I mean, France France did have a lot of troubles itself because you were there saying was nationalist movements. Like, yeah, nationalism really came really became an issue in the in the nineteenth century yeah. where certain people. So this is where. This is where the German-speaking people, the fact that they all spoke German, that would have become an issue then. And, and they would have realised that that yeah. being united would have been better. Yes, and it, it's interesting as well how different it could mm. have been had Prussia lost to Austria. It could have been a united... It could have been united Germany with Austria at its centre. Yeah. And Prussia could be separate, like Austria is separate now. Yeah, that would have, that would have been very interesting. Yeah. So... How did Bismarck get into this situation of being the political lichpin to Europe? Well, it is, it is, he does have a pretty, he has a pretty, um, really, not not so much uninteresting as it was just normal kind of career as everyone else did. I mean, he was, he was Prussian nobility, obviously, because yeah. that's the only way you get any kind of status at that time. Yeah. And at that time, you had either the choice of being in the, in the military or in politics or in both. And he chose politics, but as you can see, if you look at any pictures of him, yeah, he's, he's always wearing a military uniform. And the spiky hat. Yeah, just, I mean, the spiky hat. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, 
So he he was he was definitely a politician, but he was of course obsessed with war and obsessed it, with the. Did he have any like? Uh, it was conscription. They had like mm. every man was trained, but yeah. did he have like any tactical foresight? Or was that all down to German tactics? Well, that was more that was more the way that it had been for a while because Prussia, where it is, like if yeah. it's just at the center of Europe, basically, so mm. it had to have armies ready to move like that. So it, yeah. it had no other option really. So it had a very well-trained army that yeah. were fast to mobilize. For a state that's tiny, they mm-hmm. had three times, was it? Three times yeah. the military might yeah. of France at the that the time that they went to war with the Austrians. So yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. And Bismarck wasn't a military leader at all in that no, sense. No, he wasn't, but he did have Germany has a history, all the German states they have a history of capable generals. Like you have you have the generals there like von Molke who was a pretty big deal at that time <laughs> like he led when when Napoleon surrendered at Sedan basically he surrendered to the Prussian king and he surrendered to von Molke right his son then his son von Molke is also I don't know what his first name is well we'll just call them all the same <laughs> yeah <name>. von <laughs> he, Molke had a son and we call him von Molke yeah you don't know his first name yeah exactly <laughs> well that's what I do anyway um <laughs> He yeah so von Malka then pr- played a pretty big deal in World War One as as yeah. one of the major generals because even though like, in fairness yeah they lost yeah so. I know, that's, that's true <laughs> that's another thing I'd like to talk about a bit later on though yeah um, so he managed to get trade deals that mm. turned into unifying deals how did that happen. What do you mean in terms of, in yeah, terms of like, German states? Yeah, they, yeah, he was trading with German states mm-hmm. and he'd set up these confederates that yeah. would later on become ruling powers. Yeah, he had, he didn't, at this time, he didn't really see German unification. I went into this a little bit yeah. in the actual episode. He mm. didn't see German unification as a as the, the be-all and end-all because he had the same fears as all the other German states that... That they'd lose their sovereignty. Yeah, they'd lose that, their sovereignty. That it'd be ruled by, say, mm. Austria and they but, wouldn't have a voice. Yeah, but he also knew the importance of tying the German states together in some way yeah even even if it was like by trade and not necessarily by complete like unification it didn't really have to be unification at that time because in the 1850s there wasn't as much of a need for it as there was later on nationalism was there but it was only there in a sense we speak the same language let's get mm. on rather than we speak the same language let's make a country kind of yeah thing. um the, the german states that were on the french border how is there any possibility because the French spoke French and the yeah. Germans spoke German how mm. is there any possibility that the Germans would have joined the French mm. instead like because if Germany declared if Prussia had declared the war those German states would have turned against Prussia for fear of what well they would have turned turned against Prussia more more for fear of that Prussia would get too big mm. and too powerful and then impose its yeah own. impose its will it was more let's let's stop Prussia getting too big because yeah. Prussia very much was the dominant German state in yeah. in what we now see as Germany it wasn't so much that they that they wanted France to be powerful they just didn't want to be taken over by Prussia and they knew if if Prussia went on a big war of conquest and Prussia was successful yeah. what's to stop Prussia then imposing its will on France and on the, the small, rest of yeah Europe. and the smaller german states as well they're so it's hard to grasp now because we see a united germany and yeah. we don't we, we don't question no we can't fathom the idea of smaller europe of smaller german states yeah. but they were certainly there and trying to compromise what they saw as their right to rule themselves. Was it Bismarck's uh, policies for uh, industrial development? I mean, was that... Yeah. I mean, you keep talking about how the industrial, they managed to catch up and then surpass mm. France in the space of 10 yeah. years or something. 
It was, um, yeah. Was that his policies and his... And don't forget as well, it wasn't just Prussia. After 1866, Prussia was pretty much tied at the hip to the vast majority of the northern German states. Yeah, um, so, so they, he were, could, they he, were working really yeah, well together. He could call on like the military resources of Hanover, which was pretty big as well, and Saxony, which was also pretty big. What was the importance of the Swiss railroad? Oh right. Well, I didn't. I realized afterwards. I only really talked about the alliance. But back yeah. then, if you if you consider railways now, aren't that much of a big deal. But well, back then, well, yeah. I mean, they are. But like <laughs> in Ireland, maybe yeah. Not. I mean, we've uh, got one railroad, and that's it. Yeah. Okay, maybe two. <laughs> maybe two. One to, one to the west, and one to the one to Dublin. And that's yeah. Better. Um, if if you look at what it was more what the railway suggested and Bismarck knew this very well when he was proposing to put the railway there he wasn't saying let's make a railway through Switzerland for the crack it was more let's make a railway through Switzerland because France might think look yeah. look where that railway is going and if the railway ties obviously Switzerland has a history being neutral yeah. except for some time in the 15th century where they basically destroyed loads of different states well, that's another story <laughs> completely <laughs> sounds interesting yeah we should talk about it sometime the the railway wasn't wasn't so much that it was a railway it yeah. was more what the railway suggested if Bismarck was able to coordinate the railway running from the German states that he was allied with to Italy Never mind. The only reason it went through Switzerland, the only reason that's a big deal, is because Switzerland's in the way. If yeah. it could have gone straight to Italy, it would have, but it would have taken longer. Yeah. Switzerland was kind of irrelevant this whole time. No offense to any Swiss people that are listening, just because it was neutral and had yeah. a history of being neutral. The idea was to get Italy not as much as an alliance as just to make France look to its south as well yeah. as to its east. So it's thinking, wait. The Germans could just redeploy an army down to the exactly. South. Yeah, it was about because don't don't think that France this time didn't know that Germany was doing like I'm going to call it Germany just because they were German states yeah. as well. Don't think that they didn't know that they were doing all the stuff that they were doing at railways. They knew that Germany's rail network were, was really really efficient. The the French didn't have railroad roads either. Well, or? no, they did have railroads, but because Who railroads, <laughs> uh, we both said it. Uh, we can fix that. Yeah, we can it, fix that. We can fix that. Oh, we might just leave it in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, oh, it wasn't so much France didn't see the benefits of railroads, but that Germany and the German states really saw the benefit of railroads. So if, if that makes it. sense, because each one would have been concerned that oh, we need to have trade routes going to the yeah. city state above us and yeah. the city state to our right. Well, say the French having so much land would be yeah. like, well, let's just build one exactly. Going yeah, this that's way. that's so. really what it comes down to because all these states are independent. They all have their own railways. So if you have France who has its own railway, but then you have loads of smaller German states that have their own railways, obviously the German states are going to have more. Yeah, and it's going to be more intricate. They're yeah. going to like, oh, there's these guys are hauling troops. We'll send the guns around, and yeah. they'll all get there at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So this brings us back to the thing with Italy. If you put a railway down to Italy, all the things you're suggesting. Oh, look what we can do this yeah. fast. Yeah. We can move troops there. They can move troops to us if they needed to. Um, but why? Why did Italy? Uh, I mean, obviously the the Austrian occupation of Venetia, yeah. Venetia, um, mm. But who who was in charge of holding the Austrians back? Was that Prussia's responsibility, or well, was that France's? Yeah, I mean, after the Peace of Prague in eighteen sixty six, Austria was pretty much devastated. I mean, I I didn't want to exaggerate it too much, but at the same time, after all after all Austria has done, it was basically even in the Napoleonic Wars. After yeah. the Napoleonic Wars, it was still the dominant German power it was yeah. like basically the de facto German state in Europe yeah. but after the peace of Prague it was not anymore it didn't want to act anymore 
with A, which Prussia is okay. And Austria was also focusing on its own problems as well. I don't know the exact date of this. I think it was a little bit afterwards or maybe a little bit before, but mm. with its own, because it had its own empire that stretched to the east through Hungary yeah. and what we now know yeah. as Czechoslovakia and other stuff. We now know as the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was living in World War II era. <laughs> um, they would have seen then, they would have more been focused on their own affairs. Obviously, Venetia is the obvious exception because it's just natural that they extend down south when mm. they can't extend north. I mean, if you if you box a country in, in three directions, it's going to go the other direction you haven't boxed it in on. So, um, and the the Italians got upset with the French over this. Well, yeah, because... Were, were they looking to France to uphold the treaty? Well, yeah, they were. Prussia um, accountable? It's at the same time because Napoleon III, who's actually a very interesting character at the same time, he had been the championing person behind Italian unification. Yeah. And um, he basically, like I said, he did what... He did for Italy what Napoleon had done, the original Napoleon had done for Germany, for yeah. all the German states, giving them the incentive to unite. Yeah. Um, it was more because he said that he would do a certain thing with Venetia. He said he would protect it yeah. from outside uh, interference and he yeah. would honour its sovereignty. And then as Napoleon's France, Napoleon III's France, got more and more involved with the big neighbour to its east, it got less and less concerned about what was going on in Venetia. And if, if Austria decided that it wanted to move down south and occupy or exert its control over the state, France couldn't really <laughs> yeah, I mean, couldn't really care anymore when it was too busy with Prussia at this stage. Yeah. But at the same time it's not like it's not like Napoleon wanted this to happen. I mean, knowingly knowingly giving his blessing for this was I thought that was a bit strange, but at the same time if you understand what he's dealing with at, at that time with Prussia yeah, he's, he's trying to see an ally in yeah, Austria, potentially. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's true, actually. If if he could ally with Austria, when he knows... Obviously, Austria is going to be a bit sore after losing to Prussia. Yeah, so, but, so completely. Yeah, so, in that case, the chances of having a strong mm. Austrian ally are better than having an Italian ally? Oh, abs- I mean, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Italy, I, I, they're not completely unified until 1870. So yeah. interestingly, this like a, a little bit before Germany, but even yeah. then, you still have a lot of political um, unrest and the kind of disorganization. So having a stable ally would be more appealing. To them. Yes, but they, I, I said that they wanted to go for Italy, but I should have actually gone into more of Austria because Austria was, although it would, although it had been defeated, it still held a vast amount of territory, mm, and it would exactly. have been, it would have been recognized as stronger than Italy, certainly. Mm. Um, which so, is why Italy, instead of instead of actually doing something when Austria took over Venetia, it just kind of protested to yeah. France rather than acting on its own initiative yeah it's, it seems like um, it seems like a good idea by the French at the time but mm. it, it puts them with less borders that are friendly yeah well this is what you see like with the foreign policy because everyone was switching back and forth so much it kind of became harder and harder to make promises and Napoleon find himself making promises he couldn't keep while yeah. wanting to keep them at the same time I mean obviously yeah. he would have liked to have Italy there but he just couldn't yeah um the the English they were they were keeping their mouths shut at this time. Well, yeah, I mean, because Britain had its empire, it was pretty much uh, like pretty much occupied with its empire. Yeah. It it was going through the same policy that America would go through just before World War Two, in that it was trying to isolate itself from European affairs. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was going through an isolationist phase while trying to make sure that, and this is interesting, trying to make sure that the the balance of power didn't sway too much in the favor of one or the other. Um, so the, there was a Churchill-like figure making sure. Well, yeah, I, 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 
Ben Benjamin Disraeli comes to mind at this stage. I know he was a, I know he was the prime minister around this time. I don't know I don't know when, but he was he was a championing per, a championing figure of Britain and its empire rather than Britain and Europe yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. The the Spanish they, yeah. they seem completely unaware of everything. <laughs> Hilarious, going on here. Hilariously unaware. I know. I really, I really found this part very, very yeah, funny. I mean, you couldn't um, have asked for a more comical moment yeah. for Spain to step in and I push know. the buttons. I know exactly. <laughs> um, and it wasn't like it wasn't like Bismarck had even orchestrated this. I'm sure yeah. he was as surprised as anyone. It didn't stop him manipulating the events, of course. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was. I found this very interesting. How Spain just didn't have a clue at this stage. But uh, as I said, Spain was just going through so much of its own. So yeah. much of its own uh, internal problems and everything. Ever since, ever since, really losing, losing what became what was left of its empire, there wasn't really much left I that mean, Spain had. Uh, what what were their colonies? They were they were in the Americas. Yeah, they were they uh, were in the Americas. They Mexico, were in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was really Spain to a T. That was Spain and Portugal. In fact, were basically focused on. The reason why I don't go into them very much in the episode is because they didn't really play a major role in the the battles. In obviously. the battles, yeah, in the battles, yeah. I mean, three or four hundred years earlier, yes, they would have, but because they had their empires now, like Britain, actually, like Britain in some ways, that they just concerned themselves. Yeah, with their they empires. went with isolation as well. Mm. So we're seeing a lot of them actually focus on ignoring Europe, yeah, while Europe mm. sorts out its problems. So how did uh, the Netherlands avoid all of this, especially because uh, it was offered that? Luxembourg thing yeah so well the, the thing with Luxembourg is interesting because is that, that's the English join in on that one as yeah well. that, that is interesting because while Bismarck saw this as a chance to manipulate France into making a wrong move he also saw that if he tried to oppose them too much Britain would say what are you doing opposing this this is none of your business yeah. so Bismarck knew not to involve everyone so when he was telling when he was sending a, a telegram to the British Foreign Office he over he exaggerated exactly what France was trying to do yeah. so now Britain doesn't want doesn't want to know what France is doing yeah. so it, it's it's either more suspicious or it's at least not really approving i mean if you if you're if you're an island and you see a country on the continent trying to annex a smaller state and yeah. make you more powerful you're not going to be very happy with that no um, but the the Dutch held on to it and yeah I, how did the Luxembourg end up becoming independent like it is today yeah that's interesting actually I don't I'm, I'm going to be honest I don't entirely know how I really should look into this it's something yeah, I've always wanted uh, to see they are like a, they're basically a, a very important icon in Europe at the yeah. moment with the whole politics of the EU yeah. centering around Luxembourg mm. and Brussels that's true yeah it's 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 interesting how at that time as well that the Netherlands had even the fact that Luxembourg had the power to hold on to Luxembourg a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. Which is very impressive. Mm. Um, at this time as well, I mean, I know I keep going on about the isolation, the isolationism, but the Netherlands had an empire as well. And, it was... and they, their presence on Europe wasn't big enough to actually work them into a, no. a, like, a European power. No, it wasn't. But it, they were, they were, they were a power. But they weren't a European power in yeah. that they were, they were too small to really do anything. But they were, they were too important to ignore. I mean, everyone traded with the Netherlands, yeah. So you couldn't exactly ignore they, them. They had something that no one else had, like they do today. They yeah. have drugs. No one else has. Them. <laughs> exactly. So that's yeah. why everybody likes the Dutch. <laughs> They knew, all, all the powers in Europe knew the benefits of keeping the Netherlands as a friendly trading partner when it could a- have access to so many goods. And so did the trade between uh, France and the Netherlands, I'm, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. was the stance point when Germany finally mobilised and hit France so well, hard? It, was, it, yeah. was the trade still going on? Well, yes, all the other countries as normal. Yeah, it was. It was in the, in the countries that were completely uninvolved. So, say Spain, even though all, after all the damage it had done, Spain wasn't really involved in the actual war so itself. Trade was still yeah, normal. trade was still going on there, um, and, and of course trade with Italy as well. Yeah, um, Italy didn't really get involved at all because once Bismarck Bismarck knew what he was doing, obviously he didn't yeah. want. Italy ruining things for him so <laughs> it, it was pretty much all the neutral countries were still trading the Netherlands probably would have kept on with what it was doing to be honest keep because, trading with France anyway yeah keep trading with France and Germany as normal because there would have been no reason for it was especially because it was smaller city states so everybody yeah. no one would really be going are you trading with the French because we'll get upset about it. yeah that. exactly yeah it, it would have it would have been if, if it had picked a side then whichever whichever which say it cancelled its deals with France then yeah. if it did that and then France won. Then France would have said, "Why did you cancel your deals with us?" Exactly. And then okay. there would have been there would the have usual been payback. Yeah, payback. <laughs> <laughs> how did the uh, How did the Netherlands avoid becoming a part of a German state? Even though they're not, they, I know they don't mm. speak German. Yeah, but, uh, they're very similar, and mm. I would have thought that culturally, it was they would have, they would have yeah. been an easy annex for the mm. Germans. Well, you, you would think that, but it because they had their empire, they had completely separated themselves. They mm. were a different identity altogether yeah. to the German states and to Prussia. Prussia knew, while Prussia was fighting wars on the continent, the Dutch were making an empire in the East Indies. Yeah. So it wasn't like there was anything that unified them there. I mean, they could claim Germanic descent, probably, but... Yeah. It was a bit of a weak. It was a, even in the even in the cultural of nationalism at that time. It was still yeah, a bit of weak. It's, it's a weak link. Yeah. yeah, and although the Dutch would have seen the benefits in, in joining uh, a powerful German alliance of states yeah. at the they same were time, very good at being independent. Yeah, keeping trade open. With exactly. Everyone. Yeah, they're not going to abandon their sovereignty for the sake of joining it. Yeah, a questionable at best. Yeah, but now we've come to see that Germany are actually, you know, still at this point. 
being an industrial giant. In yeah. Europe, so, uh, <laughs> might have been a good idea to join at some stage. Well, maybe, yeah, or even increase their ties to Germany itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are neighbours and their mm. ties are like, they've got roads and yeah. rail networks that overlap. So mm. Yeah, so you, you have a strong disliking <laughs> of, of equipment? Well, I, it's not so much Does it way. bother you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much as I just find it boring. Anything... Anything, yeah. anything to do with, say, it's the same with naval power or um, or aeroplanes or anything like that. I always find it very boring. I mean, I like the battles themselves, but when they start going to detail about rates of fire and uh, how fast they can, of guns yeah, and I mean, ammunition. I, I, I find logistics. it interesting. Yeah, I, I, I find logistics interesting when it's talking about where you're moving troops, but when it's talking about what's moving those troops, I don't find it as interesting. That's why I didn't go into as much detail with the railways. Mm. I, I mentioned it briefly, but because everyone knows how important the railways are, I didn't want to go into it too much. Yeah. And also because I found it boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, the last cavalry charge to ever work yeah. was, was actually, <laughs> like, it worked primarily because of weapon smoke. Yeah. So these these were, what type of rifles were they? I mean... Well, if they're they, expelling lots and lots of smoke. Yeah, they're still like the, musket style stuff. What, is it? Yeah, it is. It's certainly. It's well. It would be. It would be breech loading rifles that the French were using the chassepot rifle. But mm-hmm. even then, it, it certainly wouldn't be the kind of rifles that we see like in the First World War. That was so where they're firing at a at a rate. Yeah, with magazines. And- Basically, like a musket, except it was except the barrel. The barrel of the gun was rifled and it was breech loading, so you didn't have to. You Turn didn't the have gun to, yeah. By your foot and exactly, like, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't as time consuming as that, but it still wasn't the perfect weapon. Yeah. But certainly, the French had the better rifle than the than the German needle gun, as I called it. Um, <laughs> was that a bolt action rifle or what was it? It it was a bolt action rifle, as far as I can remember. I I, br- I briefly glanced over this in in the book that I was using, but it. So it was a bolt action rifle. Yes, yeah. it was. <laughs> it was a bolt action rifle, but it wasn't as effective as a bolt. Uh, the breech loading was better, basically, even yeah. though the bolt action was theoretically more advanced. It didn't and, give it the same rate of fire because there was yeah. more to do. But then, rate of fire means nothing when you're skirmishing. Exactly, and if you look at the way the French skirmish, and if you look at the way the Germans skirmished, you can see why um, things went so wrong so quickly for France. I mean. The the tactics of Napoleon in the Napoleonic Wars certainly worked for France, but at this stage, when new military ideas were becoming invented and disproved all the time, and France was still living with those same kind of tactics, it just yeah. it was really inevitable. Like, the often countries have to lose really badly to kind of change their tactics, and that's what really happens with France. The French absolute desire for war—that's something that I never expected, especially because yeah. in modern times we'd always see the French as the surrenders. Yeah. Like, we, we call them surrender monkeys, but... Yeah, I, mean, I know. It, it It is interesting, though, but at, at the same time, um, France did have a big history of exerting its imperium on everyone else. Mm. Um, it was the dominant power in Europe for yeah. up to then, actually. Apart from Britain was... So- it, it it basically when the Franks invaded mm. and the German the sorry the Roman Empire deteriorated yeah. it just became the new superpower. Well, yes, but there at the same time that didn't happen immediately. There yeah. was because there was so much division in those states. Like uh, uh, in the year eight hundred is when Charlemagne became what we see as the first Holy Roman Emperor. But even though he became the Holy Roman Emperor, 
it wasn't the same Holy Roman Empire that we would see and say, oh, that's the Holy Roman Empire. So it wasn't like Germany. It was more like all of France, a bit of Spain, a bit of Germany. Ever since then, once he died, then his sons divided up his territories and you had like the emergence of different states. But certainly in terms of concrete borders or anything, there wasn't really anything there until until about the the Norman conquest of... um, because you see the Normans complicated things once the Normans took over England then it was a bit different because you had France but you also had the Normans who spoke French and then because they were in England then the English spoke French so now you have French England and you have French France they have the same language but they're still fighting each other yeah they certainly there was borders but this comes back to the the different german states i mean it wasn't so much the german states separated and became independent because they wanted to it was more because of the circumstances yeah. just happened that way really they, they happened to they happened to be ignored by their governing body and yeah just the city states set up mm. so that the city was governing the local land and they were trading with each other. So it wasn't, like, the boundaries that we've drawn, Yeah, like, they're just sort of makeshift boundaries of their counties. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It took a good while before the the English... Yeah, before the English saw themselves as English instead of just an extension of France. Yeah. Which is something interesting that not many people know that because it was conquered by, by the Normans, which was in the north of France, because it was conquered by the Normans... It was basically a French extension. It was definitely independent from France, and it fought with France regularly. But um, it wasn't. It was. It didn't it was have the just same. Like having an unruly brother. Really. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, they were they were still speaking French. And all well, yeah, they were exactly. Really, yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. And so that's like the the precursor of how France came to being and into its strength. Yeah, and obviously the the Napoleonic Wars. Oh yeah, that, oh, that's that happened. Yeah. That, that was probably them at their height. Mm. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you had Louis the Fourteenth um, during during medieval Europe as well, who made a pretty big impact. I mean, if England went to war, then it was basically against Louis at that stage. Yeah. Um, and he made France the most dominant power on the continent, and like everyone answered to France, just like everyone answered to Germany when Germany was unified. Well, like Napoleon made France. Napoleon is famous because of what he did for France. I mean, he defeated everyone in Europe, and France had never done that before. Yeah. Even though France was very, very powerful before Napoleon, it had never been the kind of super state that Napoleon made it into. Yeah. I mean, even though France had colonies, like Napoleon sold the colonies so that he could make war more effectively against Britain. So yes, Napoleon definitely did have a lot of impact, and we were living with the consequences of Napoleon until 1870, pretty much. And that's why we're all happy that Bismarck came around. Cause well, yeah, um, it's debatable as well. Like, if you ask a German, obviously he's going to be happy that that Bismarck won. But if you ask a Frenchman, he's he probably sees it as the darkest state in his country's history. That yeah. France just like France. At the same time, you have to understand it was, even though it wasn't Napoleonic France. I mean, it was ruled by Napoleon, mm. but he was no Napoleon, as they say. It was still France, and France held a lot of influence around the world. So for it to lose so fast to a state which for so long had never really been the most, the state in Europe, like that was a pretty big deal because everyone saw as well, like everyone's watching this conflict happening and when they see the results of it, they know that Europe has changed and it's changed permanently. And why didn't 
the German states annex France immediately? Well, this is what it comes down to. I mean, I pointed to at the end when they annexed Alsace-Lorraine. Bismarck wanted to put it in its place. Yeah, they wanted to put it in its place, and Bismarck saw the importance of cutting the red tape, as I saw, as I, as I said it, and and starting the war so that he'd unify all of Germany. I mean, he yeah, knew yeah. that if he if so, he, the war was just a tool used yes, to unify Germany. Absolutely, and it yeah. wasn't in some mad scramble to conquer. Not at all, no. I mean, greater Germany. No, not at all. I mean, once you see, a bit like some sort of dictator in the next century. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You see, even if you want to, if you want to see where Bismarck's intentions lay, look at what happened after 1871, where he'd beaten France. He maintained peace because he was satisfied with what he had. His goal, his goal, the 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 Franco-Prussian War was a means to an end for Bismarck. Basically, it wasn't the end of what he was trying to go for. He didn't want the war so that he could have a war. He wanted the war so that he could have a unified Germany. Even though they hadn't annexed France, what they did do instead with Alsace-Lorraine, if they hadn't done that, I mean, the French could say, oh, you beat us in the war, we're upset. But they couldn't say, you beat us in the war, we're upset, and you have part of our territory. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. So So even even though... I mean, fair treatment always gets repaid with fair treatment. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Except for in the First World War, where Germany was treated very poorly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then they they repaid that treatment by treating everyone else poorly. Yeah. So if you see it like that... It kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that the, the French had so much bitterness from the First World War yeah. still locked in from mm. from the Franco-Prussian War. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see like how long the 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 bad taste in their mouths lasted. It lasted nearly oh, like about 40 years. Yeah. Um which is interesting, but for during that 40-year period, the culture in France would have been let's take down Prussia, let's get revenge on Germany, etc. Yeah, so that that was the attitude they were going into. Absolutely. The World War. Oh yeah, completely. That's um, not what I expected again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought the French were all about, you know, we don't want to fight. We yeah. Wanna, we want to keep our peace, but we don't want to fight. Mm. But to see them desire war so much that they openly pursued it on the streets. Oh and yeah. Then, had such a bitter taste mm. that they insisted on going to war again. Mm. I mean, I mean, this is uh, a lot of what your podcast is about is diplomatic brilliance. And yeah. at this point in history, mm. it's the First World War does not have the same sort of reasoning and motives. Yeah, like it's interesting because yeah. everybody's confused and nobody knows what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah, but it's not like you have one iconic figure that's mm. manipulating everyone. Yeah, there's nothing the like that. That there, there has been people like Bismarck throughout the centuries, of course, um, but like Bismarck was the man in in around this time. That's why, like, who else would have been able to play? France off everyone else so that France because France once France after about five years after the Franco-Prussian War France had pretty much recovered from the loss and wanted war again but it wasn't going to make war by itself it needed an ally so Bismarck knew that he'd have to keep those allies away from France it was it's I mean I can understand your obsession yeah (laughs) he is uh, he is absolutely unfathomable mm. mm. except for the time that he took a holiday just when like yeah. I mean, in the middle of that Spanish crisis mm. uh, that is not the point to go and have a holiday yeah especially when he very well knew that what was going to happen I mean when you release that to the press you're going to know that someone's going to react I mean, to it releasing that to the press that's that's pretty impressive yeah I mean maybe he did that on purpose for a reason that we don't know but mm. I mean if 
at any time you're trying to mess up Brismark's plans, it's yeah. going to be when he's on holiday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so. you can see, <laughs> you can see like how much Bismarck scrambled to just just scrambled to give his king advice yeah, more than he's anything like, else. Oh my goodness! Don't do that. Run, yeah. run, run, run. Oh, I'm too late. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and uh, I wonder what would have happened had the Germans ascended to the Spanish throne. Yeah, that would be interesting as well. What is expe- what I found especially interesting about this is that. In in seventeen oh two, this is going back a bit, but there was the war of the Spanish succession again. Yeah. Spain always seems to be without a monarch at the most crucial times, but in this case, it was France who wanted to put their candidate on the throne, and everyone yeah. else opposed them. Okay. So now that she was on the other foot, and it caused a war again. Um, but Bismarck certainly didn't think that's why he didn't go forward initially. I said Spain wasn't exactly the place to be, and that's true. I mean, it was a shadow of what it used to be. Yeah. But at the same time, if you surround France on the south and in the east, France is not going to like that, and yeah. Bismarck knew it. But I think and it was especially when you've got the popular opinion that they should go to war. Yeah, if exactly. You just keep putting pressure on the people; mm. they're gonna they're gonna go to war by themselves. What was yeah. that quote? You had a quote where the people would pick up arms and run out by themselves yeah if if I don't I can't remember yeah but uh, it was it was very it, the way you put it was very good oh thank you <laughs> I, I liked I liked the the quote from uh, Eugenie de Montijo yes. where she was uh, talking it's like I could go to sleep French and wake up German yeah I thought that was fantastic yeah. I really yeah, did it's like and it, it really it summarizes the efficiency that she saw in Germany that exactly. they could in one night take Paris. Yeah, how fast how fast it changed as well. I mean, it would be like waking up one morning and the European Union's gone and instead of the European Union there's like a commonwealth of like say three major European powers. That's what it would be comparable to because the situation in Europe was just so completely different to what it had been before. Yeah. That that would actually mess everybody up. Yeah, <laughs> everyone would be like, "What just happened?" I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to see all of the history and how it was super important back then. But what is its purpose now? I mean, in relation to modern times, yeah. Europe acts as almost a single entity at mm. this point. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I mean, it just goes to show you how much things have changed since then. I mean, when. At that, in 1870, war was a tool of diplomacy, whereas now war is like the be-all and end-all, and you wouldn't use it even if it was really, really necessary. Yeah. And it, it's 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 interesting to see that that is a good question because it's more it's not so much what happened within the Franco-Prussian War as what happened afterwards that changed Europe and that changes the way we live today. I mean. Once World War One happened, World War Two was inevitable because of the way it ended. Yeah. So, because of the Franco-Prussian War, this is why I blame the Franco-Prussian War for starting the First and Second World Wars, because you can't have a Second World War without a First World War. And you can't have a First World War without the Franco-Prussian War. But and you can't have a unified Germany without a Franco-Prussian War. Exactly, so. yeah. <laughs> so, if you want to blame everything on Bismarck... It, it would make yeah, sense. It would make sense. But he, he, yeah. he did it. Without realising. Yeah, so I, I think was... so. I mean, it's not like he saw in the future. Apart from the bit, uh, obviously the bit where he took away Alsace and Lorraine wasn't a good idea, but I'm sure he didn't know that as a consequence of him doing that, there would be two major world wars. I mean, he might have thought that there would be another war on the same scale as the Franco-Prussian War, maybe. But sure, Germany could win that. Yeah. He wasn't really thinking he so much. He wasn't thinking everybody in Europe Yeah, I mean, involved. the concept of a world war wasn't really around then yeah. it, because everyone was so confined to their own affairs yeah. and if there was a war because there have been wars like so many wars during the 19th century that just happened and then stopped without anyone really interfering or anything yeah. like that but the idea that uh, a huge 
you know, force would be able to combine countries together yeah. and become a, yeah. uh, a, a war beyond the scale. Exactly. I mean, people before. people forget that the alliances that were made that lasted through World War One were not meant to be military alliances. They were more so defense pacts. They were meant to discourage war as much as there was cries of uh, let's have war and everything just before World War One started. And as much as the soldiers went away with flowers in their guns, famously, because um, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into... Like, those alliances weren't there so that each country would have someone to fall back on. Those alliances were there so that war wouldn't happen, in mm. that sense. Mm. And it was it was kind of... It was a mutation. I mean, you only have to look at the way World War One unfolded at the start, the way people declared war. All of those roots are found in the Franco-Prussian War. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's what makes that's, it such yeah. a pivotal moment exactly, in, yeah. in our European mm. history. I mean, to understand just how important the Franco-Prussian War is. I said it at the start. Just look at how different it would be if Germany never unified. Like, imagine how different the face of Europe would be. And that's... I mean, I said it would probably happen eventually where the trends of nationalism would eventually bring them close together. But that might not have happened for another 20 or 30 years. I mean, who's to say it would have happened at all? I mean, it could have taken ages and all the all the diplomatic negotiations could have led to nothing. They, the, in terms of recognising the world as we do today, the Franco-Prussian War was the genesis of the world as we see it. I mean, wars before then, it's not just because it happened 130 years ago, it's, it's because it happened at all that we see the world as we do today. Thank you very much, Sean, for joining me. This is the first, this is the first talk, talk diplomacy we've really had. I don't really have an official name for it yet. I should probably work on diplomacy that. Discussion. Oh. Diplomacy discussion. Diplomacy discussion. DD or something DD, like that. Yeah. DD um, day. Oh yeah. no! Oh no! Not again! <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, it, it's it's good. I think it went well. And in terms of in the future, I'd like to do these more, like because. I can appreciate that listening to me talking for 45 minutes every, isn't everyone's idea of a good time. Or even listening to the two of us. Yeah. For more than but that. if you have people discussing it it, it, it does seem a lot more interesting because you have two people instead of one. Yeah, and the banter that we have occasionally. Exactly. Thanks for having me, Zach. It was absolutely... I don't know how it's going to take off or what's going to happen, but I hope people enjoyed listening to yeah, us. Yeah, I hope they did too. And thank you very much for listening, guys. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> no, we don't have a Twitter. <laughs> Buy the t-shirt, headband, and glasses. Woo-woo-woo. <laughs> like your hair. <laughs> okay, guys, thanks very much. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.